Greetings, the super eating loose neck. One of my names is Sam, and welcome back to that time we woke up in a podcast and had to explain manga, our heated adventures, overanalyzing manga that we find interesting. This week, we return once again to the Great Wheel, the turning cop of Kill Six Billion Demons by Tom Parkinson Morgan, diving into Book Three, The Wielder of Names, Chapters One through Five. Keeping thy ears open, you loose ruminous lackawit, and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Over Manga Cast. My name is Sam, and as always, here at the top of the show, uh, we talk about our familiarity with the franchise we read this week. Uh, and uh, as it was last time, this is the incredibly rare exception where I current. This is like the one thing that I'm act I'm, I'm actually current on. I I keep up with it, and um, that that's weird actually. Now that I have the sample size of the entire podcast to work with. <laughs> Uh, Jake, how about you? Now, I didn't get the opportunity to read any more of this. Uh, the thing I realize is um, I need to be less scared of K6PD. It's, I, after the first book, it's a lot less dense. Uh, it was actually pretty easy to get through this reading, uh, but I hadn't, I hadn't done anything in the off time. All right. Yeah, even the interstitial um, little stories in between were much easier to read this time around, too. Just like a little sword fairy tale. <laughs> yeah. Everyone loves the little sword fairy tales. So, uh, how about you, Matt? No. Okay. <laughs> Sam, I, I, read, I read good things. And you might notice that we are short a J this week. Uh, she was uh, a bit too busy uh, still uh, untangling everything from last time. So uh, she, she took the week off for this one. So speaking of last time, we pick up as... Uh, the crew is returning to the Red City of Throne upon their procured airship, uh, the which uh, we learned the providence of. They just kind of took it. <laughs> they they uh, threw the captain of it off of off of the side. Poor guy into the infinite void. Well, actually, uh, they. Uh, if, if you do the whole mouse over the panel and wait thing, the uh, alt text does say that the captain was fine and went to live uh, and went to live a, a fairly peaceful life away from all the chaos. So I guess he got off all right. You know what? Considering I know how crazy this gets, because occasionally Sam will uh, uh, send me a page he's uh, hyped about. Uh, that's probably for the best. Yeah, that guy objectively got off the easiest of like every random character. Our girl Allison, she uh, she ain't doing too great. She is uh, full of holes after uh, the attack from Modem in their flight from last time. And uh, it is only due to uh, good luck that uh, Nayev, the random girl that they ran into, uh, happened to also uh, be in proximity to get on this boat and attend uh, to her wounds. Yeah, she was one of the... Um... Uh, one of the uh, tributes to Modem and uh, uh, only the best for uh, Mother Ohm. Yes. The... So she had been trained in a bunch of things. So she's going to she's going to be the skill monkey for the party. <laughs> Basically, everyone else is some flavor of like fighter or monk. So we needed at least one rogue who knew how to do literally anything else other than killing. Oh, she's a rogue artificer. Like multi-class. Yeah. Yeah. 
fair, everyone in this is some variety of artifice or multi-class. Yeah, <laughs> that is true. But uh, Allison, props to her, is keeping up the uh, fuck all this stupid god shit attitude from last time and declares uh, straight away, all right, every last one of you weirdos needs to tell me why you're useful bef- uh, for this next plan to go and find Zade. Otherwise, you can get off my goddamn ship. I've decided it's mine now. I I really like the uh, the character development for Allison here because this is a case where she has moved forward. Her character has pretty definitively developed as of what happened last time. And last time, what she learned is to use the power of the key that she has she cannot request she must command so Mm -hmm. she's taking charge with everything that she has and it still feels natural and and in character for her but she's definitely taking it too far and kind of just like slowly not even really slowly but like transforming into more of an asshole over the course of time you know like she's made steps forward in her character development but she's done it in such a way that uh there's a lot more like potential for growth, despite the fact that she seems to have pretty definitively learned the lesson of, you know, this is how you tap into the power of the key, mm-hmm. which is important to her like personal journey of self-discovery. Yes, because the key shall not uh, respond to an irresolute uh, wielder. And so we get a quick rundown of the of the cast of our crew. Uh, presumably because uh, these ones will last a bit longer than most other background characters. (laughs) You have survived the first two books. You are allowed now to have a personality. Yes, uh, we learned that uh, Princess Jack, Jack Moonshine, Sailor Moon Jack Jack Daniels (laughs) is here solely for the purpose of exacting bloody vengeance on Allison, but being a little piss baby blue a uh, devil can't actually do that other other than the fact that they're uh that she's knowledgeable and claims to be competent in a fight uh she's really just there to grump mm-hmm. meanwhile everyone else is a bit more involved uh white chain is here because metatron lives and I, I love Allison's response here because she immediately uh, she hears metatron lives and goes I said no cryptic bullshit explain <laughs> yourself Metatron was the big uh, angel that uh, Zoss beat the crap out of and took the power of God from. And now we need to actually get that power back into the back into the head of the proper heir being Zade, not you, you little weirdo. Okay, thank you. I do love the panel of White Chain, uh, just Jojo posing next to to Zoss and presumably what Zade was supposed to look like as the heir. Um, We have Nayev, who uh, not only is the one who has been uh, tending to Allison's wounds, but uh, is also the one. (laughs) I love there's a moment where it's like, so what do you do? She flies the ship. Fly the ship. I fly the ship. Cool. You're on board. (laughs) 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 Like, Like fair. What else do you say to that? In the course of a page turn, she changes into an entire, like, overalls workman uniform as they go down to uh, poke around at the engine. (laughs) Yeah, the ship, this ship's engine runs on the uh, on the blood of uh, lesser uh, devils. It's quite standard, I assure you. (laughs) (laughs) I love the line. Very safe. Perfectly normal. 
Yeah, yeah. I think it's the very safe part where it's like, I didn't ask if it was safe, but now I'm concerned. (laughs) And then uh, the final member of our little band of misfits, C-O-C-A-C-O-L-A. There is something to be said when Allison in in full uh, a king does not ask mode is like, okay, why do I keep you around? And uh, C.O. is just like, I don't want to be involved in this conversation. Can we just move on? No. <laughs> like, like she, she, like as much as Allison has done with the cryptic bullshit, Sio's also kind of done with Allison's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Not that Sio can actually do anything about it. Writes her spicy fan fiction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he ships herself with Allison immediately. It's so good. I, I love it because Allison's going to like cut up the book that Sio's been writing in, but then she actually starts reading and is like, You need my help, the stranger said, suddenly growing close and grasping our heroine around her slender waist. What is this? <laughs> <laughs> love the little pictures of like hero princess Allison and Sio with tiny glasses. Oh. Look, so long as you stop reading this, I'll tell you everything. Okay, then what's your deal with Prem Nand? He's my husband. <laughs> what? Oh, my. Okay, fine. I'll explain everything else. <laughs> oh, man. See, that's why she hated her job. You should never uh, work with a spouse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, especially when uh, the power dynamic in the relationship very suddenly and precipitously shifts as we learn from CO's backstory. As she explains that she was not always C-O-C-A-C-O-L-A, the uh, blue devil named after a soft drink. Uh, she was once an exceedingly powerful, dangerous, and famous ebon devil. Yabolkoath. That's how you pronounce it. I never even attempted. <laughs> mm-hmm. I knew what those I knew what those letters were referring to. <laughs> But yeah, uh, uh, Co uh, as uh, Yabo had uh, just call her Yabs. Yabs basically transgressed against almost everybody. Uh, mm-hmm. Famous particularly as a thief, and um, she actually managed to uh, prior uh, steal something from a Vault of Ure, uh, a feat in which no one has ever uh, stolen from the Vault and lived to tell the tale. Mm-hmm. Technically, not even her. <laughs> yeah. Sio, what do you mean by that? <laughs> Hold on, I'm getting to that. It's a dramatic reveal. Because the nature of devils is, uh, you know, they're they are an eternal flame. Uh, they never die, so to say. Yabs's uh, husband, uh, Prem Nand, had collected the shattered pieces of her mask and functionally put her back together. But that's how she became Sio. Uh, I think it's important that we don't skip over specifically what Yabs did. She didn't just break into Uray. She broke in there and stole a fragment of Mammon's power. Oh, right. A, a piece of the key. She took some of his key and became like Queen of the Underworld. This yeah. ab- absolutely horrid, uh, oppressive monster. So terrible that... Uh, when the angels came to destroy her, she had no uh, she had no friends to defend her and she was slaughtered. Yeah, no, no one. Uh, uh, when you're uh, when you're an oppressive dictator, uh, it's nice when no one's uh, opposing you. But when uh, 
uh, someone who can actually beat you shows up. It's funny how uh, how few people will uh, rush to your defense. And uh, in, uh, in a honestly fair move, Sio uh, has sworn off uh, her previous life. I am not doing that again. Allison, you're doing that again. We're stealing from the vault of your A. God damn it, Allison! Say what you want about the horrible monster that is her husband. He did put her mask back together. He did. He put the mask back together, brought her back out of the void, and as uh, the little blue devil, and precip uh, her precipitous fall made the uh, power dynamic in their relationship shift wildly, so... Yeah, no wonder she was miserable. I can't be in charge. I don't want to be at all. <laughs> I'm just going to go write fan fiction. Yeah. Where I can be in control of my own tiny universe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's like high school me all over again. Oh, my God. And her magic is about creating tiny paper dolls that do her bidding. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she's uh, she's not moved on. <laughs> no, no. no, she hasn't. And actually, that's the uh, basically the premise of the next scene, because when Allison makes her big declaration of like, look, you either do what I say or you get the hell off my ship and CEO uh, capitulates. <laughs> Allison passes out from her blood loss, uh, first and foremost, but then goes to uh, basically sulk, having lost a lot of her, you know, sense of identity as everything has been. Uh, shattered and stripped away. And CEO, you know, great, uh, <laughs> great friggin' uh, motivational speaker that she is, who says, eh, don't worry about it. You think everything about your uh, personality has been broken and taken away? People don't really change. They just put more and more masks and grow thicker skin over what they really are. Oh, like an onion. <laughs> yeah. I love that because, like, there is legitimately some truth to that where like there is a like a deep core self like I refer to it as who you are in the dark. You know, if you could if you could do something and no one else would ever know, you know, what choices would you make is like the core you. And again, it's sort of like the the character turn that Allison has had with her sort of a little bit over embracing her, uh, you know, her new power, like the fact that she actually has tangible power in her life rather than just, you know, the sort of metaphorical choice to be better. Like she has literal physical power now and she's a little bit overindulging in it. And it's like, it's cool to see her like accept that she is, that she is powerful in her own right. But also, you know, you're at 11, take it down to a nine. Um, <laughs> There's that aspect with CEO's perspective, too, where, yeah, we have a core self that's that's a deepest part of ourselves, but we're also the sum of all of our choices. You know, what we choose to do, you know, with the layers that we put on is still uh, a fundamental part of who we are. And considering that CEO became CEO by her previous self being literally shattered into pieces and cast into an endless void. It's kind of understandable that she hasn't really internalized that concept yet. But like it's a it's a uh, notable path for potential character growth down the line. Mm -hmm. We also get some good shipping stuff between them, which I <laughs> CEO ships them. The, the uh, book itself ships them. As must happen in every uh, book of Kill Six Billion Demons, Allison needs a redesign and uh, in order to start off the new adventure. And she given herself a very choppy haircut, which CO cleans up. 
But uh, yeah, now that we've got that uh, that bit out of the way with uh, learning about CEO's backstory, our uh, heroes readying for their uh, assault on the Vault of Ure, let's check in with Auntie Maya. It's been a minute. Yeah, last time we saw her, it was that big ballroom blitz with uh, uh, with uh, Juggernaut Star and uh, and everything that went horribly in that. <laughs> There was there was the guy with the Kanye shades that we were hoping was going to come back. But Loremaster said no. Yeah. Rip in peace, that guy. <laughs> uh, hey, good news. The uh, the uh, on the murder angel survived. <laughs> yeah. I hope you guys like Juggernaut Star because they're not dead. <laughs> we learned this after a few pages of Maya having a uh, backstory flashback dream where she went to go learn how to kill people from Diogenes. I mean, Medi. I I like that this old sword hermit is basically just the skeleton from that one Christmas comic about giving children swords. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, uh, or a Discworld world story. Um, oh, then it's just death. Yeah, just death. They could get hurt. That will be an important lesson. <laughs> <laughs> Medi doing everything in her power to turn this idiot child away from learning the sword. It's like, kid. Yes, I'm the most powerful swordswoman, probably. Uh, and look where it got me. I am literally living in a barrel off of the uh, friggin' generosity of, you, of your mother uh, sending me some noodles to eat. And you're telling me you still want to learn the sword. Yes! Okay, here. Ping. What? This, this sword is all pitted and covered in rust. Yes. Use it to shave every hair off your head. And until you do that, I'm not training you. And I love I love the uh, the uh, response of. uh, (laughs) But if I do that, I'll get cut. Yes. Yes, you will. That's the point. (laughs) Really cool, like metaphor, because it's like an old rusted sword. So the whole thing is like it's something you need to constantly maintain. And. I, I, I know this character for three pages, so I can't make a broad sweeping thing. But I, I like the idea that it's like, hey, here's the thing. Try and use this as if it's a tool for some practical use. And you'll realize it's not. It does one thing. And I hate that it does that. But hey, if you want to know what a sword does, it kills people. That is all it does. That is all it will be. Using it for anything else is stupid. Mm-hmm. All it's good for is drawing somebody's blood. It is a tool for splitting men. And that's about the time uh, Maya wakes up. And so does Juggernaut Star <laughs> with, with one of my favorite reveals as the wheel like rises out of the ashes from the collapse of Modem's palace. And Maya's like, ah, I guess I didn't destroy your real body, uh, did I? No, but losing that one was extremely painful. Anyway, I'm going home. <laughs> it's so good both of them are beaten to crap they're they're both exhausted <laughs> and then juggernaut stars like i'm tired i'm <laughs> leaving goodbye i'll be back to kill you later you worthless mortal oh and um yeah that's like an that, that's like basically uh half a chapter of our reading so <laughs> we're we're moving on a quick clip comparatively to previous books <laughs> well well yeah because it's uh because we front-loaded all of the lore we can actually do the story now <laughs> yeah un- unfortunately with kill six billion demons um 
reading it's much different than talking about it because while you're reading it you're constantly have to fend off what the hell is going on in this background oh my god what what ah, why why would you draw with this much detail why <laughs> it is funny because i feel like i feel like as far as we got in book three it's somewhere in between book one's way too detailed and uh book two's like average comic detailed mm-hmm. which you say that, Jake, but in the first page of the flashback dream where Maya is going to bring the noodles to Medi, we get a shot of the market, which has like three dozen unique characters, stalls, uh, a whole like marketplace. The, the thing about that, though, is that whilst it is super detailed and you can look at all of that detail and like parse it all, it doesn't it doesn't feel as visually noisy as the first book. Like. It it manages to sort of split the difference between having the sort of like because like book two had like actual like silhouette characters in the background that weren't actually like detailed at all. Whereas um, book three goes back to having every character actually be drawn, but they're also not drawn in a way that like pops and demands attention, which in all honesty, considering one of the sort of selling features of Kill Six Billion Demons is the degree and the insanity of the highly detailed art, I feel like that's a a good happy medium to strike where it is ignorable if you are so inclined. Mm -hmm. One of the fun things to do is to not ignore it and wonder what the hell is all this crap going on in the background? Oh my God, what is that? But, you know, it it doesn't distract from the story as much as I feel it did in the... um, in the first book uh, one thing i do want to note about uh the the brief confrontation that maya and juggernaut star have is that right before juggernaut star says ah, screw it i'm going home their angel form shifts a little bit it's not much but like one half of their face goes from the like spikes everywhere including literally out the eyes incarnation of death and heavy metal to a much softer, like kind of more human and effeminate face. And then immediately, uh, and that's like when they're admitting to being tired and then immediately shifts back into full death metal album mode. Yeah, because that, that's a moment of acknowledging, you know, humanity and narratives doesn't mean literally being human. It is a sense of being like relatable to the reader. You know, that's a moment of Juggernaut Star uh, acknowledging their humanity despite the fact that they pretend they don't have any, which obvious, obviously ties very uh, deeply into White Change's, White Chains's story. His, mm-hmm. Their name is hard to say. Especially with the possessive, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, but it's very interesting because when we meet Juggernaut Star, they are expressly inhuman and uh, joining in the parade of other angels berating White Chain for appearing humans. So, hmm wonder what's that wonder what that's about it's the angels are hypocrites it, 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 it's not that hard to parse i know i know let me be cheeky <laughs> i know what happens i haven't read ahead and i know what happens it's not that hard to figure out anyway it's a real shame jay couldn't make it to this reading because now a hot guy shows up <laughs> real beachy boy holy crap everything with incubus yeah, he we just get a, shows up. We get a dream sequence and uh, Incubus explains the plot. <laughs> I, I 
really enjoy this section for one because i am a professed massive fan of weird abstract dream sequences that's that's just something i really enjoy and also incubus is just so fun as a villain he's such a punk it is sort of fun because um this is one of the ones where um uh, you don't have to pay super close attention to the background details like the that balance was struck. But I, de- I for whatever reason, I decided to pay close attention because it's like, OK, wait, this is a mindscape. This is going to be like explaining things. And um, the uh, the one with the holes in uh, the Allison with the holes in her arms and legs. I'm like, OK, well, that's like like we know she's got like self-loathing uh, problems. And like I, I'm sort of like passively reading while I'm trying to take in the the whole mindscape. And I, I get to Incubus talking about, you know, we really got to work on this whole self-loathing thing. It's like, OK, yep, got it. <laughs> <laughs> I got that one. My favorite is Red Allison with a massive hole in her chest, just ugly crying. I mean, yellow Allison is also ugly cry. <laughs> <laughs> she she is waterfalling. <laughs> As a bunch of smaller Allisons are like pulling her hair and flipping her off. Because she hates herself. Did you know that she hates herself? I couldn't tell. Yeah, I mean, not for nothing. It does kind of make sense that this would be what is her mindscape at this point, because she did just go through an entire thing about her realizing and accepting that she has hated herself all along when she pretended she did you know like there there is an element of she has just like awoken to that truth and of course it's still slamming her in the face you know like why wouldn't it that's a really hard thing to come to terms with but let me ask you a question have you heard about the babe the babe with the power of voodoo hoodoo you do you do incubus declares in order to get over all these problems what you need is to be powerful and costume changes into the labyrinth goblin king <laughs> as allison becomes like xena warrior princess i yeah i considering how much of a direct reference everything else is i think i'm just not getting what she's supposed to be yeah, yeah cuz there either. there's no there's no shame about referencing licensed things uh cuz she she's literally just Sailor Moon a little bit later and there is a moment where Incubus mocks her for her uh mental image of herself and uh and him and she's like look I'm not choosing what my mind is conjuring okay this is subconscious well we can get into the implications of that later anyway what I'm here to do is to offer you a is to offer you some help have you ever read Faust deal i don't care done <laughs> wait wait hold on I, I mean have you read madoka magic or have no, you watched madoka magic? literally strongest being in creation I, I if you like double cross me i'm just going to murder you you said it not me <laughs> he slams a fragment of his power into her forehead i am now inside your head this can't possibly go wrong <laughs> mm-hmm. and to emphasize how not wrong this can possibly go uh, we cut to Incubus waking up from this stream in a chest deep pool of blood at the bottom of a pit as a corpse dangles from a hook above, dripping more blood into this pit. And and looking distinctly less hot than he did in the dream. Yeah, all covered in scars and gross and. Like, it's not even just the scars. He just do- like he just yeah. looks less attractive. True. Most people do in real life. Yep. 
Yeah, I, I shouldn't talk. I, I would I would have found the scars attractive if it wasn't for everything else about it. <laughs> yeah. But yes, it is quite notable that this is the thing that gets us the Demiurge name and titles drop for him. Incubus, Sword King of the Middle Army, Bearer of the Word Flame, and God of the Seven-Part World. He's, on, he's only got one title, though, unlike all of the other ones. I, want, I wonder if he has a complex about that. <laughs> well, I mean, we see that almost immediately afterward. He, uh, he heads through his domain to get to his throne. His, his reception is not warm. Mm -hmm. The various other wretches that he has uh, taken uh, in a manner similar to Allison see him walking along and start screaming his name, just going, more, more, Incubus, more, 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 more. Yes, yes, what, whatever, I'll get to you in a minute. Hey, Jagannath. <laughs> I do love the fact that Incubus uses his uh, sword as a walking stick. <laughs> Have you gotten the metaphor yet? <laughs> it's a crutch. Yes. Yes, and it no. is. And no, I haven't gotten the metaphor yet. <laughs> <sighs> okay. It must have been too subtle. <laughs> a common problem in kill six billion <laughs> but yes uh jagannath is there uh sitting atop the pile of gold that has uh incubus's throne on it it's like a pile of golden cups just in case you didn't get yeah yeah it's not like just, coins or anything just in case you didn't get that incubus was hedonistic his name is literally Incubus. Yeah, it's a little obvious. Um, and the fact that the Debbie urges are se the seven deadly sins and uh, Incubus is obviously uh, lost is obviously lost. Yeah, that's uh, Incubus indulges in, in all of his urges. But uh, the page where he's talking with Jagannath has one of my favorite because uh, this webcomic loves to play around with the panels in case you couldn't tell and uh this is one of my favorites of that because uh jagannath is standing up and there's a uh, three like panel uh like column of incubus talking and he looks confident he looks a little thoughtful about something and then he's covered in shadow and looking up and his uh <laughs> words are trailing off and right next to that is the panel of just how huge jaggy is <laughs> and i mean like one thing that i think is is sort of important about all of this is in a lot of ways i think that um incubus is one of the most honest demiurges because like he hot persona in the dreams but when we cut to him in the waking world he's he has power he commands power both like social and like literal and physical like so like social and physical power but like he's such a pathetic loser he has nothing in his life you know he goes up to jagannath and he's like hey you're in front of my throne get out of the way and jagannath just no you didn't earn it for all of the for all of the uh, power that the Demiurges have, you know, it's all nothing. It's all pathetic. And like, you know, there's this sense that like, um, you know, Incubus projects a image of power through the dreams. But in the waking world, he's the only uh, Demiurge who doesn't bother pretending that he's anything that he isn't. Mm -hmm. uh, 
you know, and then we get the bit with Jagannath is gigantic, like, oh my He's god. Like, <laughs> like comes up to his knee. And, um, <laughs> there's a bit of a moment where Jagannath is like, so do you want to give me an excuse not to smash you flat? Which, I don't know, parallels Allison a little bit. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, uh, again, that that sort of idea of like there there's an honesty to Waking World Incubus where he's just like the holder of the the prime key. I'm in her mind now. I'm gonna use her to uh, use her as a cudgel to take down all the other demiurges and have actual power. So if you stay out of my way, we're cool. After all, we both want the same thing: war. Which is the other thing where it's like a lot of people have started to talk about how um, and it's like we've heard this before, the idea that Zade is the true heir and Allison was given the key by mistake. Incubus is very insistent in this scene that that seems to portray a sense of honesty. Incubus is very insistent that Allison is actually the true heir and that Zade is a red herring everyone else has fallen for, you know. Which, it's one of those ones, like, from a narrative perspective, seems kind of obvious, but, like, it getting acknowledged directly in story, it speaks to the level of intelligence that um, uh, Incubus has that a character like uh, um, Mother Ohm simply did not have, because Mother Ohm could not even see past herself, much less the bigger picture. But Incubus actually seems to be clued into how the world really works. Short-sightedness is the one flaw of the Demiurges that Incubus is not overly affected by. Yeah. I'm not going to say he's immune to it, because who making a deal with Jagannath to uh, kill the other Demiurges as if he wouldn't do the exact same thing to you, you little idiot. Making a deal with Allison when she explicitly says double cross me and I'll kill you when she controls the most powerful thing in all of the universes. Yes, she's a stupid kid who has no idea what she's doing, but she still has the name of God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's that is a risk at the best of times and he doesn't seem to want to acknowledge it. So it very much is the case where it's he is less short-sighted than the other demiurges, you know, that you know has the narrative implication of what he says in that scene is probably true, you know, and and sort of confirms what you would what you would expect uh, of uh, mm-hmm. Allison act, having legitimately been the true heir all along. The fact that Zost has appeared to Allison also sort of like ties into that because if she wasn't the true heir he probably his spirit probably wouldn't be coaching her he would have been like hey get back to Z- get back to Satan, put that thing in his head yeah you're you're my courier but no he doesn't do that i also don't feel like what we've seen of zoss that he would make a mistake like that in the first place anyway i feel like this is a uh, good break point as our heroes have returned to throne and are getting ready for their big heist so we are going to take a bit a uh, quick break ourselves and then when we return we're going to go meet with some devils so we will be right back after this And welcome back to the show, folks. Where last we left our 
characters. <laughs> Allison had continued to hold her illustrious position as eternal president of the Bad Decision Club. As emphasized by her waking up, calling herself an idiot for what she just did, and then flexing her fist to be wreathed in fire uh, containing Incubus's, like, diluted blood pink color, her eyes flaring a similar color and going, nice. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Okay, kid. <laughs> you freaking idiot. Ugh. I mean, you know, it, it's one of those ones where, um, you know, it's a stupid decision, but it's a decision, and that's better than she used to be. Is uh, positive character growth. And not for nothing, there is the factor that she might have the most powerful, like, force in the universe, but she can't really use it effectively. She's going to have to deal with the consequences of making a deal with an obviously evil person. But there is something to be said about the fact that she's also has an imminent need of direct power now. And, you know, there are a couple of cases where, you know, you have shonen or shonen adjacent protagonists or always the good boys who will never take shortcuts. Now, Allison's taking the shortcut because sh she needs it right now. Mm -hmm. uh, Sometimes you need a payday loan. <laughs> yeah, again, the the like... Uh mission statement of kill six billion demons is can you do a plot if the main character makes the worst decision every time and so uh allison wakes up to find the boat empty is like uh hey guys did we dock oh hey city cool splash page anyway where's my crew as she oh. wanders through the city and all the various peoples from across the multiverse <laughs> my favorite are the two uh, mind flare looking guys who seem to be communicating by rubbing their tentacles together or maybe they're making out in public i don't know that would make sense for this city i like how big the city is it is kind of ridiculous how quickly allison does find them <laughs> <laughs> yeah. they could be anywhere oh they're there yeah they're over there they're they're at some they're at a stall and everyone's like Alice, wait, allison you were passed out from blood loss when we left you behind like two hours ago what are you doing up it's been two hours. I'm fine now. I really like Naev. She's got uh, like <laughs> just basic plastic shopping bags <laughs> hanging from her arms. And she's like, oh, Allison, isn't this city delightful? We've been going shopping. <laughs> <laughs> like, OK, cut the, cut the tourism. <laughs> Although the keeper of that shop doesn't seem uh, particularly <laughs> against it. <laughs> Looking very happy. Uh, tourists are the... Uh are the uh, best customers for a place like that, uh, for a uh, place like the City of Throne. I love how uh, it's like. So anyway, yeah, uh, blood loss. How are you on your feet? Uh, hey, ultimate power of the voice of God. Uh, I've got a healing factor now. You do? Sure. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. I need a new jacket. <laughs> anyway, I'm just going to start taking things now. Uh, excuse me, miss. Were you going to were, were you going to pay for that? Oh, yeah, no, my flunkies will do that for me. Anyway, I'm going to go around the I'm going to go around the market just taking things now. Well, that's that's the funny thing, because uh, Allison, she doesn't even mention uh, the uh, the flunkies paying for it. That's uh, Nayev being like, uh, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll pay for that. I have money. <laughs> <laughs> I do like a little bit of world building where um, uh, white chain goes completely ham on I am bound by the old laws to neither exchange goods nor services. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but this dress would look really good on you. Why would I wear a dress? 
It would bring out your figure. My figure? <laughs> this this is a constructed shell. This isn't my form. Yeah, but it would look great with the dress. Ugh. White Chain, just take the compliment. <laughs> <laughs> I love how White Chain is starting to get like righteously angry at Nayev for all this. And Allison, is, Allison still completely like blitzed out on the god juice is like, all right, I'm hungry. We're going to a ramen shop. Come on. Hey, this entire time, Allison is basically, well, until she's, we get to the like, like skipping through the market. <laughs> yeah, well, it, Allison is basically in her own little world until we get to uh, the sort of like uh, principal character uh, unique to the section near the end. But uh, we're not quite there yet. The big man himself, <laughs> the bad man. <laughs> I believe it's at the ramen shop. Uh, CEO had uh, called in a uh, favor to get uh, her and Allison to uh, uh, speak with uh, the uh, uh, the court of court of the white eyed lady. Uh, we're not quite at the heretics court yet because the um, the favor that CEO calls in uh, causes uh, Oscar to show up, <laughs> the red masked devil with the long nose and the drip out of this world <laughs> he just kind of shows up in the scene i love him so much i i didn't notice actually until this read through but one of his earrings appears to be a naked woman trying to cover herself and i'm like that knowing the way devils work that is probably an actual human soul <laughs> it is here where we learn that where we are introduced to uh, Oscar's gang because he did not show up alone. In fact, with his evil printed pants and his jacket that says bad man, he showed up with a whole bunch of other people in evil printed clothes. <laughs> his devil gang, bad star. Did we mention we're bad? <laughs> well, if you didn't get it from all of that, you would have gotten it from Allison declaring that they work for her now and them saying, we don't work for anything, not even a nice pair of tits. What do we work for, boys? Money and power through all my side. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, uh, yeah, money and power through homicide. <laughs> Boy, if that's not a if that's not an honest statement of uh, like, there, there's such a there's such a purity to that. <laughs> There are, so many, there are so many. There are so many. There are so many villains in so many stories that uh, you know. It's like either they dilute themselves or they pretend to have good intentions, and then there's these guys. <laughs> they literally have evil branded on their clothes. Like, come on. <laughs> I, I can't help but appreciate it. I appreciate a series that just lets its demons be demons. Yeah. <laughs> It's like they're all evil. Their souls are made out of desire. They can try and be good for a little bit. <laughs> they can try and be good for a little bit, but ultimately they are just creatures of hunger. They will hunger endlessly. Yeah, that uh, kind of goes into uh, an aspect of uh, CEO's character as we uh, go on. My favorite part is when uh, Princess uh, starts talking and Oscar looks at, at her and goes, Granddad! <laughs> You're the little bit that what drank granddad under the table. <laughs> yeah, they all start laughing maniacally. <laughs> I love Oscar so much. I'd say poor princess if it weren't for the fact that she deserved it. Yeah, it really does. But uh, 
Oscar is like, yeah, okay. Uh, going and assaulting the impregnable fractal vault of Ure sounds like a good time. Uh, but this deal is so big, uh, you need to get approval from the up and ups for it. So uh, off to hell you go. <laughs> I thought I was already there. Oh, no, no. You're, you're, we need to go to the deeper hell, the other one out there in the sticks. I just really like the page of them walking through a crowded street and Allison slowly like getting used to the translator, the universal translator powers and hearing all of the uh, various like criers yelling for their services. My favorite is many fish time now. <laughs> oh, there's also human girl, nice ears, and then it's overlapped by another one. So I can only presume it's something horrible. Of course. Uh, eh, no bones about it. Uh, the City of Throne is a horrible place, and we're currently in the slums. Yeah, if you thought there couldn't be a worse place than Domino City. <laughs> but eventually they re they uh, reach the ass crack of this horrid place uh, out in the rim of the Great Wheel at the center of the other Great Wheel. They find uh, the White-Eyed Lady, a... Seemingly innocuous building guarded by a lean white cat and one weird looking person. And of course, the lean white cat with one eye is the devil in charge. Why are they on a leash? I don't know. Reasons. Reasons. I'm sure, I'm hey. sure there's a metaphor in there somewhere. Sam, I thought you agreed to follow the podcast motto. You're right. No kink shaming. <laughs> Wait, what? That's not the podcast motto, Sam. <laughs> Sam, did you change the podcast motto? <laughs> Sam, I had cards made. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the Cis Confidential podcast motto. Damn it. Wait, what? <laughs> no, that's it's a family secret. Ah. Oh. That podcast that totally doesn't exist. Please. No. You need to find the hidden hypertext link. That's the same color as the background with a <laughs> with a single panel that shows the final design of the main character. And please don't assume the Over Manga Cast website is an ARG. It's not well designed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, in reality land, uh, what actually happens is uh, Allison is given an object reminder of the fact that she is, in fact, dealing with devils. Well, I, I love this bit because this is what I mentioned about Allison basically being in her own little world. She's looking at all this and she's like, man, this is stuff that I'm going to have to deal with with all of my overwhelming power once I uh, get Zade back. And then here's Porcio over here. Okay, so you, you you seem to have missed this the last three times I told you. What you're asking me to do is to turn back into one of them. I am one of them, Allison. <laughs> Please pay attention to the fact that you're trying to uh, shove me back into my vices. Allison, I'm telling you, I am a drug addict and you've brought me to a crack den to do crack. Nah, I, nah, I think I just need to kick the teeth in of that big guy that was eating the head off of that human. Al Allison, demons are an entire species that can only live off of eating human souls. Is, is that why there's that altar where a uh, devil oh, is healing of... Wait a second. When did this page come out? When did this page happen? 1999, surprisingly coincided with the release of Gold and Silver on the GBC. I love those games. It was a good Christmas. It really was. I'm going to figure this out. 
in the background while we continue to talk about things, but I'm pretty sure I just saw a Hollow Knight reference. Well, anyway, um, we we get to the bottom of this uh, all but literal cesspit, and we uh, meet the uh, the Council of Devils. Yes, the Heretics Court. <laughs> and we get another case where someone tries to tell Allison that Co is used to be one of them for all of the uh, uh, vitriol she's spewing at these devils. She still misses that the little blue friend that she has standing next to her. And like, again, it, it's one of those ones where it's like, boy, Co is is such a better friend than Allison currently deserves. Co <laughs> mm-hmm. is bending over backwards right now for her. Oh my god, it is a Hollow Knight reference. This page came out in April of 2017. Hollow came out. Hollow Knight came out in February. One of the devils in the background is Mask Maker, but Mask Maker peeling off the faces of the human sacrifices. Neat. Fun. Hollow Knight reference. Is that how it makes masks? I. That's canon to Hollow Knight now. I'm not yep. going to talk about Mask Maker. We don't have the next three weeks. Anyway, let's meet the heretics court. They all have names. I don't bother learning them. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I didn't think they were. I didn't think they were individually important. They, they, they are. They are important as a monolith uh, because they they represent what they functionally represent is the structure of the uh, cruelty of these devils. They're basically Abaddon's excuse for drawing uh, every piece of Catholic imagery and or anime monster uh, that he's ever seen. <laughs> Oftentimes both. There's already a surprising amount of overlap there. But yeah, the uh the <laughs> the heretics court immediate reaction is uh Yabs, you have a lot of nerve existing in our presence again <laughs> after all of the things that you did. <laughs> you sure have, must have a freaking death wish for coming back here. <laughs> At least one of the devils is like, hey, guys, you know, that's not Yaboka Laugh anymore, right? You know, she's gotten her ass beaten. She's CO now. I don't care. I still have the scars. Allison attempts to interject, and one of the devils fuses her hands to her lips. Well, I mean, like, Allison's Allison's letting all of this play out because CO has told her to, uh, like, follow my lead because I know these people. And, you know, at, at least Allison is president enough uh, that she pays attention to that much but when one of them jumps off of the big spooky pillar he's standing on and uh backhands uh co hard enough to break her glasses and send her flying that's when allison pulls out the zweihander and says you don't do that the the response of the devil is to fuse her hand it uh tells her to be silent telekinesis her hands over her mouth and then fuses her hands into her face and Allison is very angry about this, which is about the time the manifestation of Incubus shows up and says, Hey, hey, aren't you sick of being nice? Don't you want to go away? Imagine being so impotent that your anger couldn't affect change. Well, guess what? You're not impotent anymore. You're not one of those stinking little peasants that can't stand up for themselves. Get in there and break them. At which point, Allison unlocks the secret technique of doing a headbutt with a cool name. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Kamajo secret family technique. <laughs> it does have an entire, like, panel dedicated to showing the manifestation of the god she is channeling, which is classic over 
doing it of kill six billion demons just for her to slam that demon that devil in the face and send him flying yeah. peeling her her fingers off of her face and going all right i want to talk to whoever's in charge yeah that that is that is exactly the place where you want to have the uh over elaborate art that is a perfect case to go ham on the art and that's a great panel and you know it, it, it's fun because uh last time we had allison's journey of self-discovery where she uh learned what her core fundamental problem was and started working against it now she's just learning all of the wrong lessons <laughs> It seems in response to this display of strength, but there's also a, a very strong air of it's not worth it putting you in your place right now. So we're just going to let you do what you want. Uh, they uh, allow uh, Al uh, uh, the uh, the one in charge allows Allison and CON to the protests of most of the uh, court of heretics heretics court. I don't think I've said that right the first time any of the times I've said it. Yeah, whatever. They're devils. Who cares? <laughs> but yes, it is here where we get to meet the head devil in charge, the big honcho, the one at the bottom of the pit, the prisoner in the iron coffin himself. His pronouns are I'm him. <laughs> hey, you remember how names bind devils and the more names they have, the weaker they get? <laughs> This one literally does not have a proper noun of a name. Just myself. Yeah. And he's locked in his safety carrier. <laughs> yes. It's one of those ones where the initial implication is all of the rest of the devils work together to seal this one particular devil away because uh, he's that dangerous. But boy, the imagery in uh, in the actual scene itself as uh, this is the character that gets Allison to get out of her head and see the world around her. And the imagery is very strong because it keeps doing shots from his perspective, looking at CO and Allison through the bars. Mm -hmm. Via the perspective, it does not look like the uh, that uh, himself is the one in the cage. I love how his speech bubbles wrap around the bars so that his words are physically outside the cage. I like how um, Ciela has basically a panic attack of stop talking to him. Yeah. <laughs> Full on. Um, oh, what is it? It's like Lex Luthor brainiac of like, <laughs> hey, you need to be a seventh level intellect or he'll talk you into suicide. Like. To be fair, I it uh, this uh this scene does not end with me thinking uh Allison won. Um. <laughs> There's something to be said of the the first time Allison actually like acknowledges, "Oh crap, CO used to be one of those things that was outside that I was saying was an irredeemable monster that deserves death." Um, you know, like there there is very much the sense that as powerful as Allison is right now, if she dedicated her time you know, fully wielded the power. She probably could damage or even destroy the heretics court. But like there, there is a very strong sense of like, Allison isn't there yet and she won't be for a long time. And they know that. And it's like, they don't want to be bothered with putting her in her place. So they've been humoring her this entire time and it just starts to sink in. Mm -hmm. How out of her depth that she is. Allison tries so hard to continue to be the hard ass and 
yeah, uh, himself does not care. <laughs> Allison says, if you're so omniscient, then you already know my stance on this pit of flesh-eating monsters, mother... <laughs> All right, then look to your left, my dear. <laughs> and Allison, just looking at Seal, like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> it's it's the first time that she acknowledges the thing that Seal has been saying for the past three days. Uh-huh. So, Sam, you can... You, you, you're current with this, so you can just spoil this for me. I'm going to ask a very serious question right now. Uh, is myself just him from the Powerpuff Girls? You know what? I, I don't know. Uh, the cage has not opened. I don't know what him looks or what himself looks like. Until proven otherwise, himself is just him from the Powerpuff Girls. Yeah. Like the inside of the cage is just that plush little apartment that him lives in. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and nah, I buy it. I love that. That's my headcanon now. That very 2000s apartment where we put... <laughs> early 2000s, where, like, fake fur was on everything and it was neon pink. Or neon green. Yes, himself offers a wager. It's like, all right, I'll sign off on your little trip. And if you happen to win, then... If you happen to win, you get in there, you get what you want. Then the only thing I ask is that you spare a thought for the poor devil when you take the throne of the universe. Okay, what happens if we fail? Ah, uh, then Sio will once again suffer the fate that her hubris had brought upon her. She will die. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and Sio immediately storms off. <laughs> yeah. It does speak to Allison's character that that does give, it, give her pause, but she is... She's not in a good place right now. Mm -hmm. The uh, the process of growth is a painful and nonlinear one. And uh... and Allison would be a fool to consider herself the exception to that. But we have already firmly established that she is a fool. So, yeah, uh, Allison chases after Seo. Like, come on, look, I couldn't have known that that's what the other part of his deal would be. I didn't know that that would be the terms. I Look, whatever. It's fine. I shouldn't have done this in the first place. But here we are. This was inevitable. I was always going to get sucked back in. I was an idiot for trying to run away. I shouldn't have pretended that I was anything less than a thieving monster, that I could be some sort of writer, that I could be something. Just give in to the bad thoughts. <laughs> I... There. No. I mean, for demons, that's probably good advice. But eh. <laughs> Debatably. Mm -hmm. She really do be given in to the bad thoughts, though. CO tosses her little fan fiction aside, and uh, the last uh, panel that we have is of uh, <laughs> Allison sort of <laughs> Allison seeing what's going on for the first time this entire uh, reading section. Mm hmm. We'll see how that goes. I suppose we will, but that will have to wait till next time because this is actually the end of our reading. So, end of the reading. Uh,. I suppose I will start with the uh, seminal question that I forgot to put on the outline. Favorite character? Uh, I can't lie. God, Incubus is such a freaking gremlin. <laughs> it, we didn't see a lot of him, but we saw the parts of him that make him such an entertaining antagonist for me. So I gotta say, I Incubus is great. And being current, I noticed a lot of uh, hints towards things that are revealed later that just make me happy to know. <laughs> so... <laughs> I will declare Incubus as my favorite for now. Uh, Matt, how about you? 
I mean, Allison's an easy pick, but uh, you know what? I'll go with uh, Niav. I really appreciated her shop or her shopping scenes. They were fun. Excellent. Very good choice. Uh, Jacob, how about you? Uh, so I kind of have two in the sense that my my favorite character, the one I was the most attached to was Sio. Uh, um, in the like, like she's the one that like I liked the most in this reading section because she's such a good person. Like in like in this uh, section, she doesn't have to be doing this. There's nothing tying her to this, but she knows Allison is screwed without her. She wants, you know, she's she wants to help. She's choosing to help, and it's putting through her through a bunch of bad things. And she's not unaware of that. She's not unaware of the fact that, you know, the drugs that she had quit cold turkey are being waved in her face and, you know, things are getting worse. But, you know, she's made a decision and she's seeing it through. And, you know, not necessarily in the sense that, like, uh, I'd want to, like, leverage it, but the kind of person who's willing to go that far, that's the kind of friend that you want to have in your corner. Like not not actually leverage that degree of loyalty, but like I wouldn't want to I wouldn't want to stress test it, but it's good to know it's couched in CEO talking about how awful she is, too. You know, it's one of those ones where um, that makes I, 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 I pain for her. I want her to be better because she's proven she's proven her own like mindset wrong several times. Whatever fundamental forces exist. She's made good choices before. She's made empathetic choices before. She is not simply a creature of one. That's something that exists in her core, but the experiences and the choices that she's made and had uh, have turned her into a different person that's better than that. That that's still a part of her, but, you know, it's not the only part of her, you know? And the fact that she doesn't really see that right now really makes me, you know, feel for her and and pull for her. But in mm-hmm. terms of like what character, I don't like Allison in this section because <laughs> she's pretty freaking awful. But let, like that's the intention. That's the point. I love her from a narrative perspective. It is so interesting to me when. And it's like, I'm not going to lie. I do this, too, in some of my own writing. It's very hard not to write linear character growth because the whole point of stories is it's taking life and it's shaving out at least some of the complication so that it can be a comprehensible, cohesive narrative with a beginning, middle and end. But to see a story that can seamlessly have a much more realistic way of uh character growth of it being you know non-linear and it's like good allison's asserting herself she's not pretending she's a helpless victim anymore that's a positive change she is going really really far and it's not and and she's hurting the people around her because of it and that's bad that's such an interesting way and not for nothing it's it's very much the case where I can see the direction the character development can go. And that and and I enjoy that. Like I I look forward to seeing that development. All right. So is it safe to say that that's also your uh, thoughts on the plot going forward? Uh, yeah, I think uh, like to me, in a lot of ways, uh, the plot, as it were, is a giant metaphor that doesn't really matter all that much. 
Um, like it matters insofar as how it metaphorically resonates with the character's journey, but this is a story where the nuts and bolts of the plot do not matter. They're cool action set pieces. To me, it is particularly Allison's journey, secondarily CO's journey, and you know, there are a lot of interesting side characters that have a lot of potential for development. But like seeing Allison take a step forward in the wrong direction and then realize it's the wrong direction and then take a step forward in another direction, which may or may not be right. Because I mean, like in book two, she made a step in the right direction, uh, no longer on a path of simple, you know, direct growth. And uh, seeing both her successes and the ways that she not so much backslides, but makes, you know, like uh, he heads in the wrong forward direction. Mm -hmm. is really interesting to me all right and how about you matt any thoughts on the plot going forward well i assume there's going to be a heist of some kind <laughs> <laughs> yes yes there will be i i don't know i i'm gonna be honest the the section we read like leading up to the heist didn't really give me like any indication of a direction which is very kill six billion demons. So I'm not sure I should have been expecting one, but like, <laughs> I want to know more about the lady that lives in the, the jar. She looked pretty cool. And I like people who are good at things, but also hate the things they're good at. I, <laughs> I, I like that character dynamic. Nice. Well, you'll get a lot of that with CO. So <laughs> plenty to look forward to in that regard. But I don't like CO. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm assuming I'll, I, I'm assuming we'll we'll get more when uh, Maya joins the party. Let me know when the popsy demon appears. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And uh, so at early on in this reading, Allison declared no more cryptic bullshit. And uh, I, I'm curious, how did that work for you guys? Was was this section less unapproachably dense? Nothing can be as unapproachably dense as the first book. <laughs> <laughs> true this, um this was very by the number like it's weird because it, it had the same like kill six billion demons wacky nonsense but when you kind of strip that away the plot itself is very by the numbers like setting up a heist like mm -hmm. it's go to location weird fever dream go to location go to location like that was super easy to follow and then that was peppered with a bunch of esoteric nonsense but like i think as jacob said earlier the esoteric nonsense didn't really matter because the plot was still okay we got the thing from the person so now we can go get the team for the heist mm -hmm. it, it was a very standard heist setup yeah i i think something that actually really helped this section is the uh the people to whom would have the most you know cryptic bullshit was a bunch of devils who kind of don't want Allison or CO to be there. Uh, <laughs> There's a lot of people saying, I don't want to deal with this. Like, um, Incubus is, hey, whatever you want, girl. Uh, Allison was, I'm just going to do whatever I want. It, very speed runny. Like, <laughs> yeah. Mash through dialogue, do the quick input to spam a headbutt that gets you through that like mandatory no. encounter we just need to get this out of the way yeah so we can get back to the real sh i think that's fitting because like there has been a lot of setup and like you know some of the things i mentioned in part two like there there is like 
purpose and connections already visible from like all of the like esoteric setup uh from book one like you know there's already elements paying off um but like at this point one of the major factors in allison's character is she had she understands that she has control of her own narrative now and she's not interested in the lore of this world so she's not going to take the time to pay attention to it. It's there. You can look at the background panels and notice a bunch of really weird things. You know, you can notice, uh, you know, uh, the the hidden ARG extra panels and such. But it's not necessary because Allison is is speed running. She's moving forward because that's what she wants to do right now. Mm -hmm. I think uh, Allison declaring no cryptic bullshit is actually a really good way of putting it because there's still cryptic bullshit there, 100%. But you don't have to care about it because Allison doesn't care about it. And this is at a fundamental level her story. You know, when she was trying to parse out what, what was going on in book one, all the dense stuff just kept happening. Now she's ignoring people. And like, yeah. I think it was supposed to feel the same way in book one, too, was you're supposed mm -hmm. to see Allison not understanding and go, OK, I don't need to understand. The problem is that was not clear <laughs> and you just end up reading a textbook. Yeah, <laughs> basically. Well, yeah, it, either either you put yourself in Allison's shoes or you're someone like me and Sam who. I mean, it's still confusing on first blush, but like we we want to try to figure it out so but that's a personal failing on our part <laughs> <laughs> anyway and then uh the ultimate question uh would you continue reading uh, uh freaking obviously next page when i know the next page most recent page was yesterday as of this recording abaddon but next page when uh how about you jake uh, yeah, I definitely continue reading, uh, reading this section, especially because of the stuff we were talking about with the Allison declaring no cryptic bullshit. I need to be less intimidated of kill six billion demons because once you get over the hump, you can just consume it casually and still uh, enjoy it. Uh, especially if you're the uh, the kind of pennant like me who uh, is about who that ran over the first section three times to try to untangle the Gordian knot uh, and, and has started to notice the places where it's paying off. Um, this is still my jam, and it's in a phase where it's not nearly as difficult to read because book one's actively difficult to read, let's be honest. Um, yes. But... I, I don't need to be as intimidated as I was. I'm I'm realizing because like it's front loaded on purpose. So I can I can enjoy uh, I can enjoy the uh, the the set pieces uh, with the uh, esoterica in the background. All right. And Matt. Um, I'm on the fence. I. I don't know. Something about this section here fell off to me like it. It didn't feel like what I liked about book two. Mm -hmm. And I'm not I, I can't really put a finger on what disconnected me. I think it might be. I don't like Allison's current personality. Because, mm. yeah, I, that's fair. I, I liked self-empowered Allison, who is still very much covering up for her insecurities. This is kind of just God mode, Allison. And obviously there's going to be a crack coming because we only did half a book. But like. Because I can only review this section on its own. It's just like, I don't. 
I don't think I liked her story, and I I've never liked um CL, so it's like who there's no one here for me. Yeah. Mm, yeah. But I I I've, I get the feeling that the heist is gonna go in like a weird direction that isn't normal for a heist. That's why you do the incredibly standard opening into weird tomb raiding nonsense. So yeah, I'm I'm intrigued, but like if I had to be honest, this section kind of was just okay. Yeah, not not your favorite. Well, actually, no. <laughs> book one is book, probably book not. Book one was favorite. actively not my favorite. Yeah, I think it was. I defended how it was. I defended the intent. <laughs> I think it was a miss on execution. All right. And obviously, uh, well, actually, I already gave my answer, so I don't know why I'm reiterating. Because it's a wheel. It's it's returned to the beginning. Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. That's don't... what you are at your base core, Sam. And that's what you will always be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but what if I was happy anyway? Sam, we both know that wasn't true. <laughs> <laughs> Read more Kill 6 Billion <laughs> Read more Kill 6 Billion uh. Anyway, thank you all once again for listening to the OverMangaCast. As always, you can find us on all of your social medias where we are at OverMangaCast, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, at, at, Toasters. Toasters. Samsung refrigerators. Oh, God, that's actually a thing, isn't it? It is. You can, you can play Doom on them and Minecraft. And listen to our podcast. Yes, probably. Uh, you can also uh, listen to our podcast on YouTube where you can like, comment, and subscribe. Our episodes are on a two-week delay, uh, but it's a good place to catch up on all of our backlog. Yeah, and if you don't feel like commenting on YouTube, you can always leave us a review wherever you like to do that. Um, iTunes is really good, but any place is great. We love hearing from you. Or if you want to reach out directly, uh, you got two options. You can go to overmongacast.com, our website, and you can... A little comment form at the bottom there or you can send us an email directly uh, over mangacast at gmail.com uh, we love just reviews what you felt uh, questions you had or you know just something you really think we should read and make sure to tune in next week where we are going to be actually not differentiating between the intense uh, background lore and hyper violence at all we're, we're doing more berserk yeah, we we somehow realized we hadn't let Sam pick in a while, so uh, he got uh, he got two in a row. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're going to be starting the Golden Age with Berserk Chapter 0-9 through 0-16. Uh, read that if you're keeping up with the show, and we'll see you all next Thursday. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. So, I'm just saying, is Mojo Jojo also in hell with all these demons? Yes. Okay, cool. What about the gang green gang? Amoeba boys? Ooh, Fuzzy Lumpkin is definitely in a background shot. <laughs> <laughs>